This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Wildcatters? Welcome back to the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. What a weird 24 hours. Colin went from tweeting about GameStop stock shooting to the moon to making it onto three different new shows in a matter of like 24 hours. Yeah. International. What is going on? You had German news, you had the (laughs) British news, you had Reuters. Yeah. We just saw the first one come out. It was um, going international, spreading our message of sticking it to the man. Are you guys getting in to GameStop, to Nokia, to AMC? I'm curious. Hit us up, (laughs) tweet at us. Yeah. His handle is at Fraxlap. Mine's at I don't know, Jacob Corley, I think. I'm really <laughs> anonymous because I usually go by Jake. So by putting on Jacob, nobody knows who you I am. the syntax. They don't know who you are. Completely throws them off. So this is a little bit of a different episode. So if you're a long-time listener, you might remember that we had Data Gumbo on the podcast, probably like what, like the first 10 episodes? Yeah. And it was like 2018, maybe 19? Honestly, I think it was like the first six or seven because we were at the old studio. That we didn't even have any ago. sound panels or anything up. It was just that ugly white cinder block room. It looked like a prison cell. Oh yeah. 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 I remember that because we had Gerald and we had uh, William on. Yeah. And I called William the wrong name. Called him like Michael or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got Gerald and <laughs> Michael. Which is so funny because I've, I've known him forever and still just got his, his white name confused. Um, so, uh, so obviously we had them on a long time ago. We recently had the opportunity to sit down with these guys. Uh, we sat down with Data Gumbo's CEO, Andrew Bruce, and Jason Modulin, the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, to talk about their new partnership. And so a lot has changed for Data Gumbo since we first had them on. Um, so it was kind of good to get a little bit of a refresher and an update on all the cool things that they're doing. Um, you know, it is kind of based around blockchain, but it's so funny that they're not even really pitching it as blockchain anymore, which I think is actually smart. So we actually recorded this at Boss Cat, which if you've never been to Boss Cat, it's here in Houston, Texas. It's like one of the kind of premier whiskey bars. And we did it over a whiskey tasting. We had a lot of fun. Um, and so if you hear a little bit of ambient noise in the background and stuff, that's why. If you hear some clinking, you hear us drinking, that's what it is. And so if you're uh, listening to this and you actually want to see it, we put a lot of like production quality into this. So just go hop over to YouTube. You can actually see it. Um, I th- we had a really, really good time. I think we got drunk by like 2 p.m. on a Tuesday. So I did it. I did. I did. Okay. Here's what happened. Here's what, let me, let me explain what happened. So I said, Hey, we're going to do this over a whiskey tasting. And all three of these guys are like, we have to drive to Austin today. And I was like, did you guys coordinate this? So what happened was I ended up taking shots for everybody. Once we get off the camera, you're the default whiskey I was the taker. Default. And I was like, well, I'm not going to let all this go to waste. So that's what happened. But uh, really quickly, before we get into the episode, let's run into our TPH energy insight of the week. So Biden, new president, new administration, came in pretty much day one, snapped his fingers, completely killed Keystone XL pipeline. Yeah. I think there was a uh, Theranos meme of Biden snapping his fingers and all that. Jacob, put it in here. Boom. Yeah. There we go. There's the meme. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty wild. I mean, one, that someone can just come in and on the first day, a project that's been going on and you have so many people involved and and just boom, take a permit away. So I don't think that it's the end of that. I think that, you know, there's going to be a ton of litigation around it and something will come out of it. But, you know, I think that when I look at overall like macro impact, the, the Biden administration has on oil and gas in a regulatory sense, 
they're going to go after these big headlines. And yeah, the Keystone pipeline has been a big headline project, but really it's not a, a massive deal in the grand scheme of things. So it's almost like let them have their wins in these types of things, you know, banning or not issuing permits for uh, drilling on federal lands. Like that's a small percentage of total drillable assets, right? So it's like, don't fight them over those things. Let them have those. He appeases his voter base and they're happy with it. And oil and gas can continue operating as normal. I if think they, so if they start regulating like offshore stuff, that's when yeah. things would be interesting for yeah. sure. And they've already done that. They did it off the coast of uh, California a long time ago. They did it off the coast of Florida with some of these lease sales there. They had a recent lease sale in the Arctic. Nobody was obviously interested in that. What's crazy about the Keystone XL, I don't think it's like a super big deal, but here's what you got to realize. You shut down the way that we're going to be transporting hydrocarbons in what I think is probably one of the most uh, efficient and probably most environmentally friendly ways doing it through a pipeline. But now those hydrocarbons are still going to get transported mm-hmm. in the same way that they're being transported today. They're going to get transported by truck or by rail or however. Yeah, I was talking to a guy up in Seattle that I met off of Twitter. He's actually a PhD in photonics. And so I was talking to him about my idea of drilling with lasers. This guy is probably just like, man, you're batshit crazy. What are you talking about? <laughs> but he knew nothing about oil and gas. And so we were talking about it and he hit me up later. He's like, hey, is it true that even though the pipeline's canceled, that won't keep them from drilling and producing hydrocarbons. They're just going to transport it by rail. And I was like, yes, that's why it's counterintuitive. And that's what happens when you have decisions made by emotions instead of by facts. And so I think it's actually really important. You know, people think that you have to have this big following to make an impact, but you talk to people one by one by one and start to talk to them about oil and gas and they start to connect dots and understand things themselves. So, yep, absolutely. Yeah, this is a great article from uh, TPH's Energy Tech uh, newsletter, a whole lot of good information there. So go check it out, go subscribe to them. Uh, also the roundup podcast, if you guys haven't been listening to it, Colin and, uh, Rob Nord have been hosting that every single week, kind of highlighting what is in like less than 15 minutes, all of the news that's going on across energy, less, than, just less than 20, less than 20. sometimes less it's than more 20. than 15. <laughs> so, uh, go check that out. If you haven't subscribed to it, I think that's going to be probably one of the most popular shows that we put out, uh, here shortly. So, uh, strap in, let's go ahead and get ready for the episode. What's going on, guys? Jake and Colin with Digital Wildcatters here, joined with our good buddy Andrew and Jason. Andrew is with Data Gumbo. Jason's here with TAEP, which is not the Texas Alliance of EMPs, but the Texas Association of Energy Producers. No, Very you mess, close. You mess it up. <laughs> you mess it up. You mess it up. Yeah, Jason, why don't you tell us who you are? Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. And we. this is our first time meeting. Andrew, we've known each other for years. We've actually spent more time in bars together than we have in the office. And so I figured, <laughs> I figured you, you said, hey, we're doing this partnership between these great organizations. I said, why don't we celebrate? Why don't we do this over a whiskey tasting? And so we've got uh, four whiskeys. I have no clue what they are, but we're here in Boscat, which is like the premier whiskey bar here in Houston, Texas. And so uh, I figured, why not talk about this partnership? Let's dive a little deep into it. I want to learn as much as I can about TAEP. You guys are doing some really cool stuff with Data Gumbo. We haven't had you guys on the podcast in like two years now. You're one of the first ones that we had on the show, and you guys have completely evolved. Your team is much larger, and now there's this new thing called GumboNet, which I don't know anything about, so i got a lot of questions. First, let's, let's get the whiskey going. So our first shot that we have here is the Maker's Mark. So let's go ahead and let's start getting our tasting going, and then we'll let Andrew kind of roll into what Data Gumbo is. So we have to drop... 
a drop of water here. Did they say how much water we have? They to said drop? one, one, one drop. drop. One, one, like a full drop. I gotta drop a couple drops to water mine down. Okay. Opens up the whiskey. <laughs> I've never heard Opens of opening up, up whiskey. So cheers, guys. Cheers. Let's go. For the oil and gas industry, it's <laughs> been a rough 2020, industry. but we're gonna make it through, right? So, Andrew, let's give a recap on what Data Gumbo is, and then after that, I want to roll into the partnership over here on this side with these EMPs. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about Data Gumbo? Data Gumbo, uh, we automate contracts, commercial contracts between uh, major counterparties. So, we use a blockchain to provide trust and value between counterparties, and we trigger the terms of the contracts with um, field data using IoT data. So it's marriage of IoT with smart contracts, which um, then creates a transaction which is stored in a blockchain so that neither party can change the results. And so you've got full trust and transparency. Okay, so I know there's a lot of guys right now, you know, they hear blockchain and automatically their mind goes to Bitcoin. You know, that's what everyone hears about is Bitcoin. And I love Bitcoin. I've loved Bitcoin for years, but a lot of people don't understand that blockchain technology is the underlying technology of blockchain. So what you guys are actually kind of modeled as is a blockchain as a service to where you've developed your own blockchain technology and you offer it as a service to these EMPs, oil field services, and you can set up nodes and have companies interface with each other without exposing proprietary data. That's what a smart contract does, right? That's correct. Yeah. So well, thank you for that. Uh, yeah. No cryptocurrencies, no mining, none of that other rubbish. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's hard enough trying to sell new technology without trying to talk about gumbo bucks. I mean, that would be <laughs> <laughs> gumbo <laughs> bucks. Right here, right? So, uh, yeah, no, no uh, cryptocurrency. So yeah, we, um, we provide the blockchain as a service subscription so that everybody's using the same network. So rather than everybody setting up their own blockchain and having different networks which don't work together, you just subscribe to a network. Um, you get value within 45 to 90 days with a larger company, smaller company, it can be quicker than that. Yeah. And if there's already, so basically what you can get, you can go on onto the network, you can find out which one of your counterparties are already there, which contracts they expose. Say, okay, I'd like to be able to haul water with a uh, water haulage company, they've exposed those contracts. I'd like to negotiate that contract. You automate that contract and figure out where the field data is going to come from, what data you trust. Bob's your uncle, Fanny's your aunt, as they say in England. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all about creating efficiencies, utilizing this technology. You know, at the end of the day, really, you don't necessarily want people focusing on the blockchain technology. You Absolutely just want not. to, you, you know, it's just kind of like the internet, right? A lot of people don't know that the internet's built on a bunch of protocols. They just get on Google and they use it. And so that's I exactly imagine that's what you guys want as well. Yeah, I mean, the internet's based on TCP IP, but who cares? Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nobody knows what TCP IP is. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Myself included. Yeah, I just right. know it's a protocol. Yeah. But, but I mean, that's, that's what the internet's based on. So basically what we're doing is we're, we're using smart contracts to reduce slack in the system, to uh, reduce back office expenses. So if you've got a small EMP company, they don't have to have a back office. Uh, they don't even have to know they're using a blockchain. Um, they just say, I'd like to be able to automate the payment for water chemicals so that you can, you can start to build this commercial infrastructure without even knowing. You don't need to even know you're using blockchain. It's completely irrelevant. Yeah. The guys in the field won't know. The executives in the office won't know. It's just the guys in the back office putting together the smart contract, they'll, they'll know, obviously. Yeah. But I mean. So one more question before we get over to Jason. 
Do you guys actually construct these smart contracts as well? I mean, are you guys developing them or is this something that the end user does themselves? You know, can they get on the platform and they can write up their own contract or is this something that you guys do? We like to say we provide the easy button. You just hit the easy button and we provide the tools and the team and off you go. I mean, there are, the reality is, is that some companies, the larger companies, they want to create their own smart contracts. So we, you know, we train them how to do that so that they can build their own smart contracts. You don't have to come to us. You're not tied to us. And if you don't like it, we have a guarantee. If you're not getting value, then the next contract's on us. You can unplug it at any time. So it's not like there's some kind of a lock-in. You can just stop using it. Yeah. So. so Jason, you're over at the TAEP. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you guys do and what you are as an organization? I wasn't familiar with you guys. And so I'm really curious, you know, you have this group of um, energy producers. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers is a 90-year-old trade organization based in Austin and in Wichita Falls. And we represent independent operators and advancing their interest and the standards of the oil and gas industry here in Texas. And what we deliver for our members is effective communications. We're in Austin, we're in Washington, D.C., advocating on their behalf. And then we also offer some employer-based solutions, whether it's insurance or going after exciting projects like this with Data Gumbo. Awesome. So you guys are almost, you know, you've got this organization and you can almost be this distribution platform for some great technologies like Data Gumbo. You know, if you see value in it for your um, users and for the EMPs, then it makes sense for you guys to partner up with companies like this and deploy it. Absolutely. The idea is to increase the viability and, and livelihoods of independent operators. And so anything we can do to help them reduce cost, increase efficiencies, and ultimately to increase production, that, that's what we're about. So let's paint a picture here. 2020, double black swan event we have. We're dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. We're dealing with, you know, on April 20th, we experienced negative oil prices for the first time in history. How has that, I think I know the answer, but how has that affected, say, TAP members? It's been an incredible challenge, uh, both for the association itself, but also for our members, uh, focused on reducing some of their overhead and really getting more efficient, focusing on the assets that, that really generate the most uh, value for them is what they've, they've done and they've done in the past. This is a cyclical business, and so they know how to do it. It's certainly a double black swan, uh, but uh, um, they know how to to overcome these challenges and they're executing on it. And we want to be there to, to serve them and to help them in that process. Absolutely. Don't tell anybody this, but I do think that the, uh, the smaller independent operators are the best run operators in the world. You know why? Because it's their money and they care and they pay attention to the small things, whereas Big jumbo uh, EMP may not care about the, the small details, but if you can pay attention to the small details, you can really move, move the needle much further, in my opinion. So let's talk about some of those smaller EMPs. You know, I'm not sure what the makeup is of y'all's group, but you know, some of these smaller EMPs. It's funny. One of my friends, you know, I was telling him about this new technology. He's like, "Look, Colin. He's like, I'm an oil man. He's like, I, you know, I don't care about technology." And I was like, "Well, you know, you, you can make your operations more efficient." and more profitable in the end, right? So do you see smaller run EMPs starting to, you know, kind of put an eye on new technologies and say, hey, what can we do in our operations and our day-to-day operations to make us more efficient? Absolutely. Anything in the back of the house, they don't want to be focused on. If they're delivering or if they're working on invoices and, and trying to understand these contracts late at night, that's taking them away from uh, being out in the field and, and operating a well. And so uh, that easy button comes in handy to allow these operators to really streamline some processes and, and gain some efficiency 
loyalty over their bigger competitors. What's the sentiment for 2021 amongst members? I'm curious. There's always optimism, uh, both in Texas, but also in the Texas oil and gas industry. And so we have to be optimistic and, and always chasing that upswing. And that's what they're preparing for right now is, is getting ready for that upswing. Andrew, I want to ask you a question real quick, you know, with y'all's history and your client base, you know, I know in the early days of Data Gumbo, you guys had, um, I think it was Diamond Offshore, you had a partnership with and you were doing things on their offshore uh, drilling rigs. And so there's kind of more of a focus on OFS at that point. Where do you see the value that you guys provide for EMPs? And is it more valuable to you, you know, if you get the EMPs, and OFS and everyone on this platform, is there more value as you get more members? And if so, is that why a partnership um, with the uh, TAEP is valuable for you guys? You asked me about three questions at the same time. <laughs> I'm famous for that. So uh, I, I do that, that way I don't have to talk as long. <laughs> I give it over to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it all starts with the operator, right? So I mean, that's why the, this relationship has been so important uh, because uh, the, the contractors and the, the OFS companies, they can provide the service, but at the end of the day, if the oil companies don't buy it, then they've just spent a bunch of money for, for nothing. Yeah. What we really like about this business plan is that there's a win for both sides. The, the oil company and the OFS company, they both win. They win differently, but they both win. So I mean, we, we sit down with what we call a value calculator when we're going through uh, uh, a discussion about the, uh, the, the service. So we would sit down with an oil company and say, okay, your, your value is probably going to be you know, reducing back office expenses, uh, improving transparency, getting better, inf better, be better informed about the, the operations, reducing the OPEX. Um, then you talk to the OFS companies and it's all about, okay, how do we uh, make sure you get paid for what you're actually delivering? You only get paid for what you actually deliver. Um, and uh, you, you reduce the payment cycle so you can get paid on time or you can... You can even start then negotiating some more creative contracts, so performance-based contracts, you know, early pay discounts and things like that. So it's a win for both sides. Yeah. So, but it all starts with the oil company, which is why this this partnership is so important to us. Yeah. So I guess from the EMP, the transparency would be a huge factor, right? You know, they can make sure, hey, we're not getting overcharged by any OFS company. We're getting what we pay for, and then on the OFS side, um, you know, they're able. It's not just a you know cut and dry net ninety or whatever it may be. It's a hey, we net three sixty for most EMPs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know we can actually pay get paid on time. So, Jason, talking to the EMPs, how are they? You know, in terms of being receptive to technologies like these. I mean, is it something that they're excited about, or do they hear blockchain? And you know, do they do they get that initial? the Bitcoin reaction or people getting excited about this? There's definitely some of those questions about what, what is blockchain <laughs> and, and how and, and how do I need to in, uh, implement that in my company? Um, but that's really where the, the relationship comes in. Data Gumbo educating our members on how to uh, uh, enter into these uh, relationships, how to expand that network with GumboNet, and then ultimately how to how to maximize those efficiencies. That, that's really what they need to focus on, not yeah. on not on how it works, um, uh, just that it does work. Yeah, can we talk a little bit about GumboNet and what that actually is? Because um, I'm not familiar with that product, so. You brought up the internet earlier on, right? Yeah. What is the internet? It's a bunch of web servers, um, and the web servers have got connections to other web servers, and that creates the internet, right? I mean, that's yeah. essentially a little bit technical level. If you've got a web page, it's just a bunch of links. And you get links to other other link, other web pages, and that creates the internet. 
but I don't care whether you're Amazon or if you're digital wildcatters, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, what we do is we provide a, the equivalent of a web server for us is a, is a blockchain node and the links are contracts. So if you start thinking, okay, I'm going to go, I've got, I've got nodes for all of the, um, all the operators and then the service companies, those create all of the different nodes, just like the, the web service for the internet and the links are the, the contracts. And so you build this network of value called GumboNet. Awesome. And so that was kind of what I was alluding to in my last question is you start building up this network and you get this network effect. And so um, that's essentially what this product is. You have all these different links between nodes of the companies. Let me build on that for a minute because you know, if you go to a large EMP company, they, they typically don't have a lot of standardization around the, their contracts. Mm -hmm. The very first really big one we did was 520 page contract. It contradicted, contradicted itself in, in five different places. Um, definition of, you know, what is time, what is midnight, what is a unit of measure, all that kind of stuff is, it's all done so humans can interpret it. But then you need to, to be able to do a smart contract, you have to take all of that variability out of it, which means you've now got uh, contractual um, certainty. So you know exactly what you're paying for. You, you negotiate the contract, you can use a smart contract to negotiate it. Then as you, as you start, Building these, you can say, okay, well, I can use that as a template. So if I'm Equinor, for example, I've now got a digital contract for drilling. I've got a digital contract for commodity haulage. I didn't say water or diesel. I said commodity haulage. And so you can then put different terms in that. And so you start to templatize these contracts. Now you can look on GumboNet and say, okay, we, this company is exposing commodity haulage contract, a provenance contract, a uh, drilling services contract. And the, you know, those are, can all be automated. And then the OFS companies can do exactly the same thing, saying, okay, I'm exposing a contract for hauling commodities and exposing a contract for additive manufacturing, for example. And so then you can start saying, okay, I, that company's got a contract I'd like to be able to use. And you don't have to start from scratch saying, oh, how the heck am I going to digitalize this? It's already done. So that's what, I mean, another reason. It's not just the nodes, but it's also the contracts were exposed by those nodes adds the value. I guess this episode and every other episode for the next six months is gonna be brought to you by Datagration. So we're super proud to partner with these guys. You know, we interview a lot of startups. We have them on the show, we talk about them. Lots of technologies being implemented, you know, across the, across the sector. But here's the problem is that once you have more and more startups, you have more and more data and operators having to maintain, operators are having to maintain dozens of apps and data sources to manage their operations. The problem is that none of these systems or data sources are connected or even automated. Engineers have to manually configure the workflows and spend most of their time preparing for data versus analyzing it and actually taking action. This approach isn't scalable and becomes very expensive to implement and maintain. Companies like Datagration have created a platform that eliminates these issues. With new technology coming to the market weekly, organizations need the speed and flexibility to adapt, especially in these times. The Petrovisor platform connects people, systems, and data with complete visibility to the technical and economic recommendations. Petrovisor delivers core capabilities that enable EMPs to quickly, efficiently automate petrotechnical workflows and run them at scale. So you can combine your field, reservoir, and accounting data into advanced economics-based assessments. Whether you're finance teams, developers, or petroleum engineers, it can accelerate efforts that focus on business challenges, such as well-performance optimization, such as capital development or ESG optimization. We also know that people spend a considerable amount of time 
coordinating email, sending, forwarding, receiving. We hate email, we use Slack usually. But with the Petrovisor platform, this is also eliminated. Petrovisor can be integrated with collaboration tools like Microsoft Teams or deliver data outputs into visualization tools like Spotfire and Tableau, which I know a lot of UNPs are currently using. By doing this, companies can improve cross-domain workflows, automate business processes, and mitigate risk all on a single open collaborative platform that is easy to set up, maintain, and expand. Go check out the link in the show notes. Go to datagration.com. Check these guys out. I think they're going to do some really big things, and thanks for partnering with us. How does Data Gumbo's product differentiate between an operator like Equinor, for example, and a smaller operator that's you know a mom-and-pop shop out in West Texas? You know, how, how do you view the difference between your service between those two? I would answer that question by asking you a question. What's the difference for a web server between Digital Data and, and Amazon, yeah. <laughs> same thing, right? Yeah. It's just a digital, I mean, the, the scale of it is bigger. You've got more services available. Yeah. But it's the same thing. So let me ask you a question as far as, you know, um, you know say I'm an EMP and I want to set it up and you talk about, oh, we have to have a node set up, you know, say that we're digital wildcatters, expiration and production, and you set up a node. Is there only, do you have one node for the entire company? Does that become your server? There can be multiple nodes, right? I mean, especially when you start getting into the privacy, data privacy laws, uh, when you go to Europe and then you've got to make sure that the data stays within within Europe, or if you're in Saudi Arabia, it has to be within you know, within the kingdom. So you've got different servers which can be linked together, just, just like you would with the other ones. And then you can roll, you have to be able to roll up different entities. So you may have, you know, EMP North America, EMP Gulf of Mexico, EMP Global, and then you have to have a, a roll-up strategy to be able to get the total, dig, the total uh, footprint um, or spend, or you, you, may, you may want to be looking at uh, what's my real-time LOE in, in North America? You're very interested in that, but in Europe they don't have that. They have you know, just operating expenses. Yeah. So you need to be able to get roll up and see the whole picture across multiple. I think for a lot of the smaller operators, I would anticipate that maybe some of their hesitation to look at something would be like, oh, I already have electronic invoicing. What is like your answer to like the difference between say electronic invoicing and then gumbo net? So electronic invoicing, first of all, they're not going to the source and they're not saying exactly how much product has been delivered. They're not automating the execution of that contract. So what we're doing is we're saying, here's a, an algorithm and smart contract is just a computer algorithm. It's an if then else statement. If, if diesel is delivered, then uh, measure how much is delivered, look at the opus price, calculate what it is, and then you can generate an invoice from that and you can automate the payment. So we go all the way from the actual physical measurement, the actual execution of the contract, and the actual payment. You, you can go as far as, we're just gonna automate, we're gonna have an escrow account and automate the payment. So there's not, I mean, you can reflect the transaction and the ERP after the fact, but you don't even have to go through the payment process of the ERP. So it's complete end-to-end. -end. All right, so first, before we get into the next question, uh, Andrew, we're gonna try out the Whistle Pig 10-year. Let's take our little drop, drop it in number two. The Whistle Pig 10-year. It's got She's, a good name. She swears it's water. <laughs> mm. Cheers, guys. Cheers. 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 Andrew, I want to ask you a quick question. You brought up real-time LOEs, and I find this topic to be really interesting. And the reason I kind of got interested in it was I had a business partner that came from manufacturing, and he's a data scientist, and he could not believe me that exploration and production companies couldn't tell you in real time if a well was profitable on a marginal cost basis. 
And he's like, no, they have to, they have to. And I said, look, the, you know, there's just not a way to do it right now um, that's scalable for people. Do you guys see this as an advantage or as a value proposition using data gumbo? You know, if you have all this data and you have real-time transactions, do you guys see it as a way to get to that point of having real-time LOEs? Absolutely, yeah. I, um, I'll tell you a little bit of a backstory of how I came to this conclusion. There's a formula called the DuPont formula. It, is, it was created by the DuPont, DuPont company in the 1920s. And it is, a, it is a way of visualizing your income statements and your balance sheet and consolidating to come up with a single view of your financial position of your company. Um, and one of, those, one of those items on that DuPont formula is the cost of goods sold. So I started thinking about, okay, if, I can, if we can look at the LOE expenses in the same way as kind of a, a lead into this DuPont formula, then we'll be able to start consolidating and see a total picture. So when we're doing the, the measurement for diesel or all, all the LOE components, you're, you, and rather than using um, estimates of what's been delivered and going into next month, you actually know because this product was delivered today by this company and just how much it cost me. And I know with certainty exactly what has been delivered. And if you do that across all the LOE categories, all of a sudden you can say, my God, I got actually get a real-time LOE for free. It's not based on estimates, it's based on actuals. And it's, it's actually easy. I hate to say that, but it is, it's easy because you're just rolling up all the expense components that, that build up the LOE. It's, it's kind of a, like a, a light bulb moment for me. It's like, oh God, if I go back to this DuPont formula, I can visualize it like the DuPont formula and I can roll up these expenses. And so now take something which is complex, really difficult to achieve, but because, and this is, this is the actual the key is, there is a, and I'm gonna go back to a question you asked me earlier on, which I didn't answer. If because you are, uh, there is a commercial incentive for both sides, there's a commercial incentive for the EMP and for the, for the service company. Because for all the reasons we've already talked about, they are all, all incented to provide the specific data you need for a to execute a specific contract. So going into data privacy, you only get the data you need, and we don't keep any of the data after the fact. So you only get the data you need um, to satisfy the terms of the contract, but it's real data. It's real data from the field that is then rolled up to provide an LOE number, real-time LOE number. Yeah, so if you have this transparency into all these actual costs, you can just roll them up to the top and derive that. And back LOE. to what your original question was, I mean, they could essentially give you real-time profitability or loss on a well-by-well -well basis. Exactly right. Which still, to this day, the biggest companies in the world do not have, which is absolutely mind-blowing. Well, it's even, you know, Jake and I, we operated, owned and operated some wells up in Oklahoma. And I just always hated that, okay, I can look at my spot price of WTI for the day, but I can't know if I'm profitable on a day-to-day -day basis. And so, and we just had a few wells. I can imagine, you know, some of these operators that have a hundred wells or a thousand wells, you know, you just extrapolate that problem over a, a bigger asset base. So I think that's a huge value proposition to EMPs. So one thing I wanted to ask you about, Jason, was the talk of the town is ESG and the conversations that I've had with exploration and production companies, you know, from last year, from a year ago to today, I mean, they've transformed, 
I mean, just vastly, the, the conversation is very different and EMPs are actually having to take a look at what is our ESG initiative and what are we going to do moving forward in the future? How are you guys tackling that as an organization and just kind of give us a little bit of insight into what EMPs are thinking? Yeah, we definitely had a similar approach as, as operators with, is this a four letter word and what is this going to require of us and our operators to meet these challenges? And it sometimes seems like a moving target, um, but really it's about telling the story of the operators that they're already engaged in environmental, social, and governance protocols uh, across uh, uh, different spectrums and, and different jurisdictions. And so how do they present that to both investors, uh, but also to the general public and to government on, on these are really the priorities of our company. Uh, and this is what we're focused on. We already have a good environmental track record and we're highly regulated. We already engage in hire a diverse uh, workforce and we have priorities to, to really maintain accountability. I mean, th those are the, the stories that um, our operators are telling. And let's package it in a way that, that can be seen with ESG. But that, that reporting requirement uh, just seems very lofty. And that's some of the excitement we have with our relationship with Data Gumbo. Yeah, I imagine the reporting that comes along with ESG. I mean, really, if you look at ESG, transparency is a big fundamental thing with ESG, right? I think that the technology and platform that Data Gumbo has provided can help with those reporting issues. And I assume that's where you guys see the value proposition from that. Absolutely. And Andrew can talk more about that. But but really, it's that uh, taking away that, that mystery um, and, and that unknown um, uh, and really giving them the tools they need to, to be able to go out and, and execute it. Yeah, I'll build on that. So in a very similar way that you get real-time LOE, you can get real-time ESG. So we've done a lot of work with King & Spalding, local law firm, um, on the ESG reporting requirements. We've done an analysis of the data, the base data you need to be able to prove your ESG score. Um, so if you look at the SASB data requirements, and you do an analysis of the SASB requirement, I mean, the data requirements for LOE versus um, ESG, it's almost, it's a 94% overlap. So just like you can get real-time LOE, you can get real-time um, ESG. Try saying that three times fast. <laughs> um, Lots of there. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's, it's, it's actually, uh, I 100% I, I believe that a lot of the value that you get from these automated contracts is not actually, well, yeah, you're getting tens of millions of dollars of saving on each of the commercial contracts, but it's the, it's the more interesting macro picture, the LOE, it's the ESG, it's the, the money meters. Is, is my contract making money or not? Mm -hmm. I've written this contract, I expect it to make X amount of profit. How do I know, to your point, right? How do I know that it is? Uh, we, we have this concept of a money meter about how you can do that so that the membership, it takes it some, from something which is expensive, kind of scary, unknown, and makes it a, actually, this just kind of rolls out. So on the implementation side, you know, if an EMP is listening to us today, to our conversation, and they say, hey, I want to try out Data Gumbo, I want to see what it's about. What's the process for implementation and onboarding? Is this a pretty easy process? Um, can you kind of dive into that a little bit? Well, what we'll do is we'll sit down and we'll go through a value calculator, make sure there's a business case. If there's not, we're not gonna do it. Makes no sense, because we're putting our guarantee at risk. So we wanna make sure that there's, there's value there. Um, we'll figure out which contracts to automate first, typically prove, choose one we've already done before, figure out what data sources you need to use, figure out which counterparty either we're already in business with or who is friendly. 
um, is going to be open-minded to do this. Um, we'll bring the team and we'll set it up and you do go through a 30-day te test period and then set it live. On the data sources, what are the requirements there? Obviously, we, we can't work with paper. We can't hook up GumboNet to paper, right? What are we looking at bare minimum requirements in order to, to participate? There's a lot of electronic ticketing providers, for example. It could be an iPad signature, something electronic. So uh, we've, we've got relationships with multiple different uh, electronic data providers. And we, 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 can, we can recommend them. We don't do it ourselves. It's explicitly not the business we're in. Um, but it has to be digital. So it could be an iPad, it could be a digital ticketing system, something like that. It could just be a meter. Okay. Everybody's got those. Everybody's got meters. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's part of the bet that we made when we started the company is there's a proliferation of IoT data. How do we take advantage of that? And, and this is yeah, so you guys saw that there was going to be this pool of data yes. and how could you build a service based off of that data? I'm super excited about this partnership. You know, Data Gumbo, you guys have been at the forefront of really, you know, you guys are really the only people who are doing blockchain in oil and gas energy as a whole. And you're definitely the leader in that space. Super excited to hear everything that TVP is working on. I think this is going to be a wildly fruitful relationship. You know, we've always lived at the intersection of technology and the energy business. And our heart is there with you know, these smaller independent operators. That is the bulk of the operators in the U.S. And so love seeing these guys embrace the latest technologies. You know, we are moving into the next phase of what this industry is going to look like. What is it going to look like? We don't necessarily know, but I think it is going to look a lot more like, you know, some more of the, the cutting edge Silicon Valley type industries. Uh, and so super excited about this and I'm wishing you guys all the best of luck and I'm super excited to hopefully see some TAP members, you know, come on the gumbo net and it was just good to catch up, good to have some wisdom. And uh, congratulations on rocking this now.